Welcome into the 615 Sessions podcast. We are mid-training camp. The vibes are high. They're always high when Teron Davenport of ESPN.com is kind enough to grace us on the pod today. We got the main man talking with TD is the podcast. He's in the studio, as a matter of fact. Has just finished his work. Uh, Of course, you can uh, go check out that podcast wherever it is that you get your pods. TD, it's good to be back in the swing of things. It's good to see you, my guy. Oh, yeah. It's always good to be out there, man. Sometimes felt a little lost when we didn't have that that structure going, man. So it's great. <laughs> it's not just for the players. It's for the media, too. We need discipline. Yeah. We need structure. We need coaching. <laughs> Absolutely, man. But uh, a lot of that going on uh, in the last uh, – We're so I guess today would be about a week from the time that camp officially, like, got underway, opened mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Uh, but through – what are we now? Five practices, two of them padded. Teron, I think we're starting to see what their vision is for this team on both sides of the ball in particular, but the defense has been the thing that consistently when we're out there, it feels like it pops. Yeah, the coverage has been really good. That's what I've been impressed with, that that back end, whether it's, you know, Christian Fulton, uh, Murphy Bunny. Uh, I that addition is a lot bigger than a lot of us are, are leading on to. Yeah. You even have the safeties, you know, Imani Hooker had a nice pass breakup the other day and they're just, they're doing well now one-on-ones, right. The offense is winning that, but we know the stuff that matters a little bit more team and, and, and seven on seven. I, I think that secondary has been really good. And that front Lord have mercy, <laughs> the things that they could do with those guys right between. So, the seven on seven, that padded day, a seven on seven, the first one. I was watching seven on seven, but I also I was standing over there on that side with the O line, D line, and let mm-hmm. me tell you something. Arden Keith from the interior, he was giving those centers everything they wanted, and the guards too, man. That's that's going to be fun to watch how they use those guys in, in tandem. Well, and that's the kind of you know when Vrabel talks about Arden's ability to mix and match moves basically and to deploy him from a variety of different spots right he's not just i mean people have watched the titans defense they understand that they're not just rushing the edge guys aren't just rushing from the edge right they they get creative they like to get pressure with four and then once they get you in third down that's when they you know like most defensive coordinators that's when they start sending stuff at you uh with Mm -hmm. the zone exchanges with the stunts and games up front yeah but not just people are so focused in on his energy and his personality this dude is a legitimate playmaker, and and it seems with his first full time starting opportunity that it's gonna the marriage of his skill set with Jeffs and with Landry's and Tart and how they're going to get all of these guys involved gonna make a lot life a lot easier on a secondary that I do think we have we do still have some questions about. Yeah, there's still some questions about the secondary, but you're right when you have the versatility up front. And just the mindset of attacking, 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 and just giving different looks. Aren't many teams that like to stunt more than than the Titans? And then when you have guys like Danico Autry that could crash inside and open it up for the looper, or you have Jeffrey Simmons who just pretty much can do whatever he wants up there. Harold Landry coming in, no brace on. I'm still impressed by that. So a lot of the things that they could do, even when you bring Weaver in there, at a stretch and you know he could give you a little something as well so they they're squad deep at that position yeah i uh you mentioned weaver we had him on the radio show yesterday um yeah, and nice. his 
he, he's always, I can tell that he's been here for three years now because he's starting to sound like it. Like they, like the PR, the variable media training is starting to wash <laughs> over him. That's one that's got personality. Yeah. I'm like, buddy, no, stay, keep, stay with yeah. me. It's too, it's too early yeah. for you to, to go to the dark side, but he was, he was good on a couple of different things uh, in particular, like how he's, how he's learning from the other two Harold, you know, I know Harold's got a personality. You know Harold's got a personality. We know damn sure he's not going to show it on the podium with the rest of us. Right. But right. how he is in the meeting rooms and the way that Arden and Rashad apparently respond to him, having him back, having him present, having him engaged, uh, it seems to have benefited everybody, as you know, as one would imagine would be the case. And obviously, you see him out on the field. We talked to Bowen yesterday. Uh, Harold, Harold said a, c- a couple of days ago that, uh, that, um, you know, he felt like his ACL was damn near perfect in his own words. And you knock on wood anytime you hear that, but to hear Bowen say it too, that it looked like pre-injury Harold, I think mm-hmm. kind of contextualizes that really well for the audience. Who's excited to see him back out on the field. Yeah. Uh, Coach Bowen has said that it looked like you wouldn't even be able to tell that he had an injury. And the thing that stood out to me when, when Landry spoke, is he said he's not even thinking about it when he's out there. Now, you could say that, but if you watch him, there's literally no head. Like, sometimes you could tell, like, oh, he's trying it out. Like, with, with, with Bud Dupree, there were times we could tell, like, okay, he's working to see oh, sure. how it's going to respond. No, Landry is just out there going, going, going. And it, it's it's impressive to think that that whole mental part, because he wasn't out there OTAs in minicamp. So to think that he's out there doing that without even having that test phase, I, I'm impressed by that. Well, it's just kind of like that that was made more real for me just watching Raidens yesterday, right? Because yeah. from, from my vantage point, uh, you know, the, when the Titans are practicing on one of the three fields, if they're not at the field closest to the radio setup, I got to pick something else to watch for the day because I know I'm going to mm-hmm. miss something. But Raidens was was there, and obviously, you know, only so much you're you're were allowed to say about players who are returning from injury. But just watching how he reacted to his movement, how the training staff reacted to his range of motion, how he cut, how he pivoted, if he was comfortable doing so, how much, how long it took him basically to speed up or slow down. Yeah, those things are not anything that we've witnessed from Harold at this point, and you know, it's been damn near a calendar year. But still, this is. Ron, I think of ACLs almost as a two-year injury after the last couple of years that we've seen with Dupree. And, you know, I know Lawan's circumstance was a little different. There's there's ongoing litigation revolving around mm-hmm. his ACL. Mm-hmm. But I do think that uh I do think that while they are routine and you can get back out there, it's pretty uncommon to see a player return to form right out of the gate. Titans fans are a little spoiled. They saw it with Jeff, but it looks like Harold is gonna be, you know, in as good a position as humanly possible. Right. And the key part of it, as you said, is usually a two year injury. That second year is when you have that mental recovery going. We're not seeing that. And that's even when they have pads on, you know, so I think that's a great thing for Titans fans and for the Titans themselves. Skaronsky, you brought up Jeff being able to get what he wants, basically. And and certainly that's there's not been a ton of things stopping Jeff, although Vrabel did mention with us the other day that he uh, he had seen better pockets from the offensive line once the pads came on. There was a, there was a moment today that Ramon Foster and I were talking about on the radio show where, you know, Jeff got into Peter's pads, got him going backwards, and then all of a sudden you see that cinder block looking dude mm-hmm. set anchor and yes. stop. <laughs> yes. 
make Jeff go up and try and bat the ball down instead of continuing with the bull rush. And Jeff, you know, might've gotten a paw on it, might've disrupted the ball. I, I couldn't quite tell from my vantage point there, but the fact that Peter was able to stop that in real time and make somebody like Jeff by consensus, a top five interior defensive lineman in football have to kind of throw his counter punch in that moment. Maybe yep. the ball gets batted down. Maybe it still gets tipped up. All these things can happen. But of all the offensive line concerns that people might have, I, I'm not worried about that first-round pick. Right. And just to your point, I love that Simmons did that because you realize that you're not going to get home. So now you're like, okay, well, wait a minute. How can I affect the play? And that's a result of the coaching that, that they're being put through, right, the, the kickball drill. So that's a really good example of it. But as far as Skaronski is concerned, you know, because a lot of people say, Hey, man, how do you use uh, an 11th overall pick on a guard? Well, I'm going to tell you how. You know what happened this offseason? And I, I said this talking with Chris Sanders on, on Run TMC for, you know, my show, talking with TD. How many 90-plus million-dollar interior D linemen did you see signed this year? What, like four? At least. Okay. Again, interior D linemen. Guess where they're lining up? Over top of the guard, center guard. Guess who has to stop that $90 million interior pass rusher? Guard, center guard. Yeah. That's a position that is critical. Why? Because what is Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, any quarterback you ask, they say, I cannot stand that pocket collapsing from the interior. Yeah. It's very important. It's it's may not be a premier position like quarterback, receiver, left tackle, but it's right up there. So I think picking Skaronsky, putting him there, and allowing him to play that position is it's important. And I think that's big time for this team. Well, and like the fact that you just it's just something that you don't have to worry about right now, right? Like it's just of all the problems that you got or all the different things that you gotta or all the different fires that you gotta put out at any one given point on a football team in the middle of training camp, like you just don't have to worry about that dude. He is legitimately a plug and play offensive lineman in mm -hmm. ways that they desperately need. It yep. makes Andre Dillard's life a lot easier. And you know, while they while they work sort through things on the right side of that offensive line. You know, you can kind of understand Mike Vrabel's reticence or maybe not reticence, reticence, maybe not the right word, but that they're comfortable with where Peter is at right now and that they're not necessarily interested in moving him for the sake of correcting another position. Yeah, they don't want to fool with that. And uh, they kind of tinkered with it, OTA's minicamp, but you see where he's working exclusively now. Dion says, uh, why would anybody ask why we would draft an offensive guard at 11? Did they not see our <laughs> offensive line last year? I would say. Well, uh, Dion, I tell you what, I, it's not just, it's not just fans. There's media as well. Who say how you draft a guard at 11? Well, you just ask Ryan Tannehill, right? You, you want him to throw the ball down the field? Well, guess what? You want him to, to do that. He has to be able to step into a throw and not be concerned about banging his thumb on the guard or center's helmet because they're getting forklifted back into his lap. I'm just saying. No, that's exactly right. Uh, we are hanging out with Teron Davenport. For those of you who are just jumping in with us, talking with TD is the podcast. You can hear him regularly on 1025 The Game as well. 
Uh, and of course, ESPN.com is where you can read all of the great work that he is doing on the Titans at T Davenport underscore NFL is where you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, so TD at this point, you know, you mentioned the coverage by the secondary earlier to start the pod and the secondary is getting plenty to work with on a regular basis. Not just the addition of Deandre Hopkins, though, of course that is important. We talked yesterday to Tim Kelly about how we're seeing these guys elevate their game around Mm -hmm. DeAndre. And I know that's something that you've been pointing out early and often to people on social. Yeah, I asked Nick Westbrook and Kenny about it, and he said that, you know, it makes him want to elevate his game. But the best answer is from Traylon Burks. I asked him, you know, was it like day two or day three of camp about that? And he said, you know, as a man, you don't want to see someone else do better. Right. And so. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're teammates. We're out there, you know, competing to make plays. But when he makes a play, I want to make a play. So that's the way it's elevating. And then go figure. DeAndre Hopkins, one of the most frequent one-hand catchers. And what does Burks go out there and do? Tannehill's rolling to the left. Boom, boom, boom. Goes up one hand. And the thing I loved is after practice when he talked about it, that's nothing, right? That's to be expected, those type of plays. And I think that's what happens when you build so much confidence off of the work that you you've put in over the off season, that's something that has to be looked at. He got to train for football this time, as opposed to working out in random places because he's on the whole draft circuit. And you could tell a difference. Well, and just, you know, Toronto's not a different person. Like I'm sure he was this and this kind of confident and this kind of, you know, comfortable in his abilities at Arkansas and at, you know, at, at points in high school, of course. I mean, he's a, obviously a high-level athlete, but, like, this this dude is not the dude that that landed here a year ago, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, you know that. That's obvious to me. I'm sure it's just as apparent to his teammates, his coaches, and, and most importantly, his quarterback. We've already seen more smiles from him than we did all of last year. So that's my one time, buddy. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. And even cracking <laughs> jokes and stuff. And I remember at one point last year, I, I pulled him aside. I was like, you're getting comfortable with us, aren't you? And he was like, yeah, yeah. It seemed, but you could really tell it now, you know? So uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with the, uh, from, from wide receivers to quarterbacks, I, you know, you argue the Titans have one of the more interesting quarterback battles anywhere in the league. Right now, even if it is just to see who's going to be the backup. But uh, as we tape this, or I guess it's a live podcast, but for those of you who will hear recorded afterwards, uh, we're recording on Wednesday afternoon. They had a walkthrough today, but we're coming off of two, uh, one good day and one solid day from Will Levis in particular. Uh, Mm -hmm. His first opportunity to work with the second team offense, his first opportunity in camp. I know he's gotten some snaps. Uh, in the spring, but uh, you know, from your standpoint, Teron, I-, I wonder how you feel about it. I'm I'm glad to see that he's at the point where he's capable of stacking days. I'm curious to see how much further that carries on, and and certainly I'm not. It's not n- enough to have convinced anybody, media, coach, executive, or otherwise, that this is somebody who's ready for the backup job just yet. Yeah, I, I don't know about ready for the backup job, but I will say. Monday and Tuesday, impressive days. And you do have to be careful with the stat counting because I know there was a big thing about the 17 and 23. Mm-hmm. Look, uh, you know, there were the the catch that Chig made, one that Treshawn Harrison made. Yeah, there were completions, but they were un- underthrown balls, mm-hmm. right? 
the whole reason why Chig had to fall to the ground and juggle is he because it was underthrown. You know what I mean? Yeah. Harrison had to make a shoestring catch to um, make it a completion. And that's the area that he's working on. That's the good part of it, layering the football, right? Fitting it in that that spot just beyond the DB and in front of the safety. You know what I mean? Those type of things. So I think you have to be careful with just looking at numbers. But the thing that I've been impressed more about Levis than anything else was on Tuesday – he didn't see the blitz and adjust accordingly. Play was whistled dead, shook it off, and reeled off three straight big completions, right? The yeah. go route to Reggie Robertson, underthrown slightly, but still completed the the route in the corner of the end zone for the touchdown, and then came back, trusted Mason Kinsey to make a play in the end zone too. So those are the things that have impressed me because we know coming out was a big thing about him being a perfectionist and being, you know, too caught up in, in the previous mistake, processed it, and worked to the next one. And that's that's a good thing. Well, TD, we saw in the spring. You remember the, the – the, I can't remember which uh, session it was, whether it was mandatory or voluntary at that point. But he had a snap-to-end practice where he's under center. He trips over the offensive lineman's legs. He goes down. He gets back up. That's the – they blow the whistle. That's how practice ends for the day. And this dude reels back to go and smash his helmet down, stops himself, yeah. walks over to the sideline. He, you know, he tosses a towel. He's clearly emotive in a way. Right. And we have seen him, and Grable even mentioned that with us, I believe, yesterday. We have seen him in a very short period of time. Again, small sample size. But if he's making those kind of incremental improvements, yeah. I think that on the whole, you know that he's doing that elsewhere as a part of his game in the meeting rooms. He's trying to do the things that he's being asked to do and control himself in a way where he knows he's very, very much under scrutiny. Yeah, and, you know, the coolness, that all starts from the quarterback. How many times, remember when Tannehill was doing all those comeback drives and all that stuff fourth quarter, and what did they always say? You know what, Ryan was just like he was earlier in the game, in the first quarter. The emotions, the 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 calmness, that – oozes from your, your quarterback. So if your guy's out there getting all wired up and messed up because of a mistake, the team's going to take on that as well. So you you definitely need to work on that. And it's good to see that progress from it. Uh, to that end, um, Malik. Malik had a really good moment earlier in the week to that effect as well. Uh, through the first interception, as far as I have seen, uh, of his training camp so far, yeah, um, yeah, to Rashad Weaver, uh, but then came back on the very next play, had a really, really nice completion down the field. And that would, and got his teammates back in the huddle. Like what you're seeing from both of those guys, it, cause it feels like, at least from my standpoint, Anytime I talk about one, it's like equal time with political parties. I almost have to talk about another just to keep yeah. people from being on my neck. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Just because we don't mention, and I'm sure you've you've given your uh, your audience and your podcast listeners uh, the same kind of spiel. Just because we're not necessarily focused or or uh, or talking about both of them does not mean that that one or the other is not making good plays as well. Like these things can be separate. Uh, while we work through them. But I think Malik, in his approach, Rabel mentioned the glaring, quote-unquote, glaring improvement that he's made. Yeah. 
We'll see whether it ends up being good enough for him to secure this job and ultimately make this roster. But from our vantage point, at least my vantage point, he seems to be doing everything humanly possible that he's being asked right now. Right. You definitely see progress. And a couple of things with, with Malik. Um, there was a play, or I won't even name, there were two plays, right, where one, he didn't throw the football, but it did, like, um, Elijah Molden drove down. It was a deep crossing route. Elijah Molden drove down on it, and you could tell he wanted to go there, but Molden shut it down. And so he was there, and then he cocked it back, and then he climbed the pocket like that, and then he slid this way, and then he ended up taking off. Whereas before, he would see that reverse out and just take off, right? So he tried to go through a few more. Oh, yeah, that first where I wanted to go wasn't there. Let me see if something else. Climb, climb, move. And then he also did that on, on Tuesday where he scrambled to his, his left. Like he, he was there. He felt the, the pressure. Instead of reversing out and running, he slid a little bit. And then ran a little bit this way and found Alizé Mack on, on the deep cross. Those are the areas where he has improved. Now, there are times where he's still just slightly holding on to the football too long, not quite believing it and letting it go. And that post that Robertson ran on Tuesday was an example. It was underthrown. Should have been a touchdown. Ended up, you know, he had to slow down for it. And he caught it and got tackled on like the one-yard line. But, I mean, at that point right now, like, we're getting the microscope out and we're grabbing the hair and we're splitting it, you know, with Levis and with Willis. But, I mean, when the competition is that intense, that's what you got to do. It's always uh, it's always a fun time of year. It's always good when we could talk some shop with our main man, Teron Davenport. You can check him out on ESPN.com. Talking with TD Podcast, 102.5 The Game. He's all over their shows uh, throughout the course of the week, and he's hanging out at Titans Camp making sure that you guys have the best breakdowns humanly possible. My dude, it's always a pleasure to chop it uh, chop it up and talk yeah. some shop uh, and looking forward to getting some preseason games under our belt. It's right around the corner. That's right. Coming up, man. Looking forward to that for sure.